We're reading from Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 23. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the, the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sencrea, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow, and they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this glimpse of what it means to be your church. And we're asking, Lord, that you'd give us eyes to see not just our world and our culture and our hearts, but also your word, your promises, and your spirit. That today would be a day of renewal. That today would be a day of life and mission. That today would be a day, Lord, where we know you more and understand our purpose in this world more than we ever have. And so come and speak to us, Lord. Our eyes are on you, Jesus. We need you. And we're thankful that your answer is always yes. Yes and amen to the things of the kingdom for the sake of the king. All hail King Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Is there any hope for our culture? I've heard this question a lot, maybe not necessarily framed this way, but a lot from believers who look around and see the world around us, the culture around us, the things on social media, the things in our schools, and we wonder, is there any hope for our culture? And part of the reason for that is because of just what we see even in the headlines. So I'm going to share with you just a few headlines from last week, right? The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence are honored at Dodger Stadium. Who are these friends? These are trans people 
who are anti-Catholic, who dress up like nuns and dress up like Jesus, who parade themselves on wooden crosses and then do pole dancing down the cross, all in an effort uh, under the umbrella of, of equity and inclusion. Second, at the very same time, there are school districts across the country considering banning the Bible. Utah, for instance, uh, there's a school district in Utah, I should say, that has decided that their elementary school and middle school will no longer use the Bible because of its violent graphic language. At the very same time, our own state here in New York has handed down guidance for schools and administrators when it comes to kids who are coming out as trans. And they say simply this, if the student involved thinks that their parent won't be for it, don't tell the parents, just start the transition. That came out last week. And the icing on the cake, NPR celebrated Father's Day by posting a picture of a biological woman who now identifies as a man and said, Happy Father's Day. A pregnant dad. Friends, when truth and reality is turned upside down, and we see the very thing that God talks about in Romans 1, where the world is turned upside down and everyone wants the support to say, this is good, let's celebrate it, this makes sense, and it simply doesn't. There are city after city, empire after empire throughout the scriptures that lived this way. One of the most famous, Sodom and Gomorrah, but not just Sodom and Gomorrah. You have Babylon, Persia, Rome, Greece, and not that we're an empire, but a country, and a culture. You see the same thing happening in our culture today. Is there any hope? Now, let me call out the elephant in the room right now. Because there are some of you in this room right now who are very excited that we're talking about this because we need to talk about it, and amen, we do need to talk about it. But there are others in this room who wrestle with some of the things that we, I just brought up here because you think that they might be right. Or perhaps you, you, you've, been, you've had experience in church where people hurt other people because they disagree about these ideas and these philosophies and these worldviews. And I just want to say out loud, if you're one who's been hurt before by Christians in talking about this, can I, can I just tell you that I'm sorry? Can I apologize on behalf of the church and simply say that that interaction was not of Christ? Because Jesus loves us just as we are, but can I say this very clearly? Jesus' love always changes us to make us who we were designed to be. Please don't miss what's being lost in our culture right now. If we have a maker, the maker is the one who gets to tell us who we are. It's a firm foundation for our feet. We can stand on it. But if we have no maker, and we all make ourselves, then the foundation of our identity and value is gone. And when that foundation of identity and value is gone, you go looking for it everywhere. Just look at the headlines. Look at the social media. Talk to real people. And the heart I keep hearing is, I don't know who I am. I'm so confused and hurt. I wish I had a foundation to stand on. That foundation, friends, is given from our maker. And so if you're wrestling with this introduction this morning, please stay with us. Online or in person, please stay. Because there's more that God has to say to all of us we're not singling anyone out, but simply saying when a culture seems to be handed over to a worldview that's not of God, that culture begins to crumble in ways that we all feel. And we're going to see that in our text for this morning. So that's where we're going as we continue in our sermon series through the book of Acts that we've entitled The Mission of the Holy Spirit. And so buckle up, friends. Here's our theme. Not even Sin City is safe when Jesus sends his church. Not even Sin City is safe when Jesus sends his church. Now that can sound like, oh, they're going to go take names. No, please don't miss the heart of what's being said and what you will hear here. Jesus comes after real people 
who are really hurting and really lost. And that's all of us. No matter what we see in our culture, Jesus says, I'm not going to stop until I'm done. Not even Sin City is safe when Jesus sends his church. So two points, Sin City, not fear, but fruit. First, Sin City, please recognize in our passage for this morning, Paul has just transitioned to a new town. He's in the city of Corinth. He's there by himself because he's left Timothy and, and Titus, uh, Timothy and Silas rather, in Berea. And there he meets Priscilla and Aquila. And there's some seeds that are planted in the meeting of Priscilla and Aquila that I'm just going to highlight for you because we're going to come back around to them. And those seeds are twofold. First, seeds for Rome. Rome is the capital city of the empire of Rome. The Roman Caesar calls himself the son of the gods. If there's anyone who is the anti-Christ in that season, it is Caesar. And yet here you have Priscilla and Aquila who happen to be from Rome. And as we see the story unfold, we're going to watch as Priscilla and Aquila help plant churches in Corinth, Ephesus, and then in Rome. Hallelujah. God is the one who's on mission even before we can see it. But what we're also going to see is God's design for women in the world and in the church. Because you see, there are two different competing priorities in the ancient world. Patriarchy and paganism. And the way that the Bible speaks of it, the, the heart that God has for it, is neither patriarchal, meaning the oppression of women by men, nor is it pagan, meaning the deliverance of women so that those who were once oppressed can now be the oppressors. It's neither one nor the other. There is a divine design that we're going to unpack together as we enter into these passages of Scripture. So, Sin City, you know you've arrived when they literally use the name of your city to describe sexual perversion. Think of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodomy, sodomize, comes from Sodom because of the sexual perversion going on in that city. Well, in the ancient world, to Corinthianize meant to make something lustful, perverse. It's, you go there so that you can satisfy all of your pleasures. In fact, there was a temple there, the patron goddess of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, a thousand temple prostitutes waiting to service you in any way you needed to be serviced in worship to this goddess Aphrodite. In fact, they had feasts regularly throughout the year about the empowerment of these women because when they got there, they got to exercise their women's rights. And while they were there, they got to do whatever they wanted to. And oftentimes men weren't even invited to those festivals. So it was the release of this oppressive culture in exchange for a different kind of oppression. Which, by the way, when women are encouraged to prostitute themselves towards one another and towards men, is that setting them free? Or is that the objectification of women just from a very different angle? Look how liberated you are to show your body to someone you don't even know. And to give away your person to someone you don't even know. You know where that happens all the time today? They call that social media. How many young girls are showing them how brave they are by posting naked or mostly naked pictures of themselves as if that's liberation. That's objectification. It is the opposite of liberation. But it's the same worship of the same false god. Her name Aphrodite. You see it in Sin City. You see it today. One example that's given in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is of a man that they're literally throwing out of the church. You know why? Because he won't stop having an affair with his own stepmother. You're like, well, that's just ridiculous. Who would do that? Anyone living in Corinth would do that because they'd turn the world upside down, because they see through a different lens that says anything that pleases me is okay. My desire, my feelings, are what matter first. And so I'm going to live out of my feelings. That's what you did when you went to the temple of Aphrodite. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Does that sound like our culture? It should, because it is. I want you to see very concretely how then the gospel comes into the city of Corinth, not randomly, but very specifically. You see here, 
the context of the pantheon, Aphrodite is the goddess of love and sex. But in 1 Corinthians 13, what do we read about love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not self-serving. Love doesn't take offense. Love always hopes. Right? Love never ends. You see a definition of love that's just randomly there. You know, he just wanted to talk about love. Or he's talking about love because they've misunderstood what love is in Corinth. They've called love sex and self-sex, right? Anything that I do to please me is love. Wrong. That's called selfishness, and it's the opposite of love because love is about self-sacrifice, not self-indulgence. Similarly, Artemis, who we'll talk a little bit about next week, is the huntress. She's fierce. She's independent. Artemis is the strong woman who goes out and does for herself and doesn't need anybody else because she's Artemis. And that's what she encourages the women of that day to do. Be independent. You don't need anybody else. But in Corinthians, Paul writes, we're not divided. We're not to live as divided as some who follow this teacher, Paul. Some who follow this teacher, Apollos. But we're all united in Christ. We are to be united under one head who is Jesus Athena, the goddess of wisdom. Notice all the female goddesses, right? The goddess of wisdom. What does Paul write in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? But true wisdom is simply this, what they call folly. Jesus Christ dying on a cross is folly to the Greeks. No, that's actually God's truest wisdom playing out. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Asclepius, the god of healing, who happens to be a male in this case, in his temple, you know what they found all over the walls? Marble pieces, body parts. An arm, a leg, a foot, a hand, right? Because you would go in there and you'd point to whatever was ailing you and they would give you some sort of potion or some sort of seance to help you feel better. So when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, are all hands, are all feet? Is everyone an arm? Is everyone a neck? You know why he's using the body imagery? Not randomly, but because they're used to seeing this as part of cult practice and cult worship. And he says, we are not to be separate parts, but when we all use our gifts together, we grow up into Christ who is our head. Do you see the difference in the context between the pantheon, which wants to divide, separate, make us fight and war against one another, reject God and any notion of a, a God who would die on a cross, ridiculous versus Christ true love not divided absolute wisdom one body and one head Paul stays there for a year and a half and it doesn't go well right it says that he's rejected and reviled by the Jews in the synagogue so he has to change his location he actually I don't know if you if you've heard it in the story he goes right next door it's like oh you reject me here Right? And then he's going to preach from here. And it says that the leader of the synagogue believes, he and his whole family. And then it says that others were also believing. But he said, I'm shaking the dust off of my feet, which, which is a picture of what? Remember? Judgment. This belongs to you. Get this grime off of me. I've tried and you've rejected him and therefore rejected me. So now I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles begin to believe in mass. The question we need to ask ourselves at this point, though, is what hope is there? If this is the case for Paul, and this is the case that we see in front of us, what hope is there? Well, I want you to hear in no uncertain terms what Jesus does and says to Paul. It says he meets him in a vision. He declares this, don't be afraid. I have many in this city. Translation, even sin city belongs to Jesus. Do you remember what he wrote to the church in, in Colossae? about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jesus has put to open shame all the powers and principalities of darkness. Jesus reigns on the throne. His enemies are a footstool under his feet. Let me say it differently. No matter what you see in the culture around you, Jesus is king. No matter what you feel inside of you with the loss of loved ones, with life that isn't working the way you want it to, with needing to wait for something to come to fruition, no matter what it is, Jesus sits on the throne. Remember what he said to his disciples 
when they're walking on the way. And he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter declares, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, yes, and Peter, you are Petros. You are the rock, right? Can you smell what the rock? No, different rock, right? Like, you are the rock, right? And on this rock, I will build my church. And what does he say next? The gates of hell will not prevail against her. Now, how many of you have ever seen gates moving? You see a gate walking down the street. You see a gate, like while you're on the highway, you're like, oh, look, there's a gate. And it's just moving at the same speed as you. No, gates don't move. What's the point? The kingdom advances, friends. God sends missionaries undercover and in broad daylight into the kingdom of darkness so that it can become a city of light. This is how our God has always worked. It's who Jesus is. It's what Jesus did. It's what his disciples did. Twelve guys, eleven, one of them already hung himself, right? Really, eleven guys, one replacement, and now we're still having the church of Jesus Christ? How did twelve guys do this? In a, in a culture, in a world that was completely antithetical to Christian gospel. It's only because they are fueled by the power of the risen Christ like leaven that's hidden in bread, like streams that don't belong in the desert, but somehow they're there, they come out of nowhere, and they produce life. That's what Jesus has always told us we're about and what he wants us to lean into together. And so the question we need to wrestle with this morning is simply this, friends. What kind of people can transform Sin City into a new Jerusalem? And I use this term intentionally because Jerusalem literally means city of peace. So when you think about kingdom, Everywhere the kingdom spreads, we are called to be a new Jerusalem, a city of peace. What kind of people can do this? And I thought it was fitting that this would be the passage of Scripture for us this morning because today is our congregational meeting. And oftentimes for our congregational meeting, we have a sermon, and then we have a congregational meeting. You know what happens? We worship together, and there's hundreds of you here. And then we have a congregational meeting, and there's tens of you here. Right? Because everyone's got stuff to do and who likes congregational meetings. And so you miss out on the ministry reports, on what God's doing. I want you to know you're not going to miss out today. Because we're going to talk about some of the stuff that's in that, those ministry reports right now. What kind of people can transform Sin City into a new Jerusalem? Well, in Corinth, there are some principles that we can get from the church there. First, only a church that's full of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power comes from God and not from us. What treasure? The spirit of the living God. That same fire that Moses saw on the mountaintops is the same fire that now lives inside of us. And when we are fueled by the power of the resurrection himself, nothing can stand in our way. Which is why Paul can say to the church, note this. In Rome, we are more than conquerors through Christ. If he is for us, who can be against us? He wrote those words to the church in Rome. It starts off by being a church full of the Holy Spirit, but it also includes necessarily a church that is humble, a church that doesn't forget who they were. Remember who you were when you were called. You were the foolish things of the world, not the wise. You were the discarded things of the world, not the chosen ones. Jesus chooses the, the weak things of the world so that those who think that they're strong, notice this, at the end of the day, there's no one actually strong when you're comparing yourself to the God who literally holds the universe in his hands. But when God chooses those of us who are willing to admit that we are weak, it puts to shame those who are not, not because God wants to shame them, but because he wants to show all of us what true power, what true authority, what true life actually looks like. And when that happens by him taking broken things and putting them back together, that's called the church, then all of a sudden the whole world sees differently. Humble. Jesus Christ had to die for me? Yeah. I'm the sick who needs the doctor? Yeah. I'm blind before you give me sight? Yeah. All of those things are true of me, apart from you. But with you, 
none of those things are true anymore. Hallelujah. Amen. Which is connected to this one, isn't it? Because we're full of the Holy Spirit, because we're, we're humble, all this is rooted in this reality. We're first and foremost loved. We love because he first loved us. We only know what love is. You could read that entire chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, and just see Jesus, 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 over and over and over again. The one I love the most is this, love always hopes. Man, do we need that today. Love always hopes. Is there hope for Sin City? Love himself says yes. If your heart is struggling to believe that, friends, you've misunderstood who he is and why you're here. He says, I have many in this city. It's why you're here. It's why we're here. It's what we're supposed to be doing. A few more. First, gifted. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14 talks about that body imagery that we talked about before, right? We're not all hands, we're not all feet, we're not all legs, but together we make a body and we have one head who is Jesus. And when we function with each member of the body exercising its gift, the kingdom spreads and we are blessed. Generous, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he says, you know that prayer that we pray, that prayer of generosity every Sunday, which by the way we're going to change next week because some of you are like, Right? Like, we've said it so many weeks in a row, it just, it starts to lose its, its power. I want you to know it's quoted from 2 Corinthians. He who was rich, but for our sakes became poor. He calls us to live in a way that shows the world this. Please hear this. That he's our treasure. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He calls us to live in a way that says to the spirit of the air here in the northeast. What's its name? Mammon. The god of money and power. To say with our money, I will sacrifice for those in need and show you that you are not my God. He is. He is. And I will give away the very thing you keep telling me I need. Even sacrificing the needs you keep whispering in my ear that I have. And then I will watch as the king of glory takes care of all these other things. As I seek first the king and his kingdom. He points to the Macedonians and says when the church in Jerusalem had a need, here's the beautiful thing you did. You had nothing. You were poor. Yet out of your poverty, you gave generously. What a call to sacrificial giving. Yes, their lives, but also their money. United in purpose, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old is passed away or gone. The new has come. Hallelujah. Are you in Christ? Then you're new. The old you's dead. So start living like it. In the ways you've been afraid to, start living like it. Because that is your identity in Christ. Firm foundation. The old is gone. The new is come. Therefore, we are God's ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. God making his appeal through us. Translation. Everything we do reflects him. Who's the Jesus that the people in your life are seeing? Where does he want you to change your behavior? Not for the sake of behavior change. For the sake of mission. That others might see and know and taste the heart of the lover of your souls. We are his ambassadors. The old is gone, friends. These are the principles. And there's more. We could be here all day. Who wants to stay all day? Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. Two out of the rest of you. I have two favorites now, right? We, we could be here all day. We won't be here all day. But let's take these principles and apply them forward to what's going on here in Suffer. Not just in Corinth, because there's another sin city, isn't there? We don't think of Suffer in that way because we're thinking about our culture. 
But we're part of that. We're part of a culture that has been flipped upside down. How does the church of Jesus Christ turn Sin City into New Jerusalem? How does All Souls Community Church do this? Well, let's talk about it. Here are the same principles. First, humble. For us to live like we are those who have need of Jesus. When we look at other people as if they're the ones with the bigger need, again, we've misunderstood who we are. We lose the right to speak to those in our lives who live lives that don't honor Jesus, who don't know Jesus, when we simply stand in judgment of them rather than coming alongside of them and sharing the same grace and love we ourselves have received. Do we live as those who beforehand walked in the deadness of our sins? Or have we forgotten who we were when we were called? Maybe a better question is, where is that playing out in your life? Because I can think of lots of relationships in my life where I don't do that. Where I'm, no, I, I, I'm humble and loving. And then I can think of my family. A lot harder to be humble with your family, isn't it? Like, why don't you change like I've changed? Right? Like, that's how we interact with one another. But how does that ever work out? Right? Then you're at Thanksgiving sitting at the table by yourself in the corner. Right? Like, it doesn't work. Where is God calling you to humble yourself? Because you know what he says he does with the pride? With the proud, rather? He opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, so that the mighty hand of God at just the right time might lift you up. Humbly living. Full of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you guys can sense it when you come in here. Actually, I do know you can sense it when you come in here. And I just rejoice that God is teaching us to be a church that worships full of the Holy Spirit, that worships in the Holy Spirit, that walks in the Holy Spirit, that does life differently because of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living Christ. And as we do this and as we walk in that Holy Spirit, you know what we're finding? He is knocking down walls. He is bringing healing in people's lives. He is doing all sorts of restoration. Why? Because he loves us. For so long in our church's existence, we would do our best to counsel and come alongside and care for one another. And for so many of us, we would get stuck because there was oppression here, demonic oppression or healing that needed to happen from God alone that we didn't know how to deal with. But in this season, God is teaching us not just how to deal with, with it, but how to lean in together and train one another up in it. And we're watching as lives are changing, as freedom is happening, and it is remarkable. It is fantastic to see. Tomorrow night, we have our worship and praise night. What do we do at worship and praise night? This. We worship and praise all hail King Jesus. And then we lean in together and watch as that King Jesus tells sin and death and the demonic to get out and they listen to him. Friends, this is an area where God wants us to lean in all the more and we're excited to do so. And we welcome you to join us. I know it can be scary. I know some of you are still, maybe you're harboring some wounds from a past church experience. Can I, can I just let you know on the front end, you're gonna get hurt here because we're people, we're sinners. We're broken. We're on the way to being whole, right? The old is gone, the new has come. Yes, but Paul also says, keep putting off the old because it has a way of wanting to come back on, right? Like, get that stuff off of me, right? Like, because we, he wants us to learn to live in a new way. Gabe, are you awake? All right, Gabe's awake, good. <laughs> if you are at all concerned with, I I'm not sure about this whole stuff, Come talk to us. Or better yet, come talk to someone who's already been through it. It's not all, not everything's a demon. That's why we call it healing and deliverance. God is interested. The issue is not the demonic, friends. The issue is why your heart is hurt so bad that the door is open for the demonic to have an inroad into you. And so let's deal with those things together. Together. And let's watch what God does. Man, is he king. 
and gentle and kind. He is love. And love always hopes. Love never fails. What about the gifts, right? We have to grow up together. Does anyone know who this person is? Michelle? I did not ask permission to use their pictures, by the way. It's a prerogative I have, right? So Michelle is our new discipleship director, officially. We praise God for her. That's not new news, though, because Michelle's been serving in that role for over a year. You know what we're doing this year? We're just actually paying her for that role. If you have not had the opportunity to get to know Michelle, please know this. This girl is so gifted in discernment. This woman is so gifted in discernment. Like few others I've ever met in my life. She hears clearly from the Lord. Again and again and again. And she is a huge part of why so many have gotten free here at this church. Her heart is for you as a church. She's constantly thinking about ways that we can continue to grow and grow up our leaders, but grow up our people and create space for God to move. Michelle is, I can say this easily because we've been doing this for a year. She's easily the greatest gift to us in the role of disciple director we've ever had as a church. So we praise God for Michelle But you need to be praying for her because with those gifts, the enemy's coming after her. And he is, but he's already lost, sister. He's already lost. And we're going to see that happen in your life. But friends, why am I bringing her up? Because God's raising up many in our midst. It's not just to staff positions, but I want to highlight some of those staff positions so you know. But he's raising up many in our midst. People are stepping up and saying, I want to be used. Where Where can I jump in? I want to grow in this. How do I get started? Have you heard of Wellspring? Have you heard us talk about it? We've been talking about it a lot. Wellspring is a spiritual formation program that we send teams to. That We've had, what now, three teams, four teams, three teams? Three teams go to, and we've made a commitment to try to send two more teams every year. What is it it all about? It's a small group of people who get together. It's two, two retreats that you attend, and then from those retreats, you go through this curriculum that is easily the best spiritual formation curriculum I've ever experienced. Ever. I'm in one of the groups. And my life is radically transformed because of it. And now I've got guys that know me and love me in ways that I didn't know were possible. And we want everyone to have that experience. Not the select few. Everyone. And so if you're interested, you can talk to this lovely human being, and let her know that you're interested in going. We're we're creating a list of folks that go, and we want you to be on that list. So we we also hired another lovely lady, Barbara Hunter. Randy doesn't like to admit this, but his older sister, Barbara, um, has been, this is his mother, um, and she is wonderful. She comes with an entire lifetime of experience. She's a colonel in the Salvation Army. To say that, yeah. To say that we are blessed to have her on staff is an understatement. And she is now coordinating our mercy efforts. She works far more than we're allowed to pay her for, but it's okay. Um, She is diving in with both feet and building teams. And she wants you on the team. And so there was an informational meeting a couple weeks ago. Some of you went to that. If you want more information, if you want to get involved in mercy ministry, if you're like, hey, I'd love to know how to care for some of the families we just talked about. I'd love to know how to do uh, visitation to those who are shut in, whether it's in a nursing home or a hospital or somewhere. Barbara is teaching these things. We're training up our teams in these ways. So the season ahead is all about equipping, setting us free, learning to listen, and equipping us to do the ministry ahead of us. We're excited for that. And we want to invite you and challenge you to jump in. Some of you have musical gifts, and you've been sitting in these seats 
for weeks or months. Or you've been online, you're like, I really need to get in there. Yes, you do. I'm talking to you. You need to get in here, right? And we need you to start using your musical gifts here. Why? If this is your home church, Levite, God gave the Levites to be the worship leaders. If God has called you to be a Levite here, answer the call. We'll all be blessed because of it. We don't just need folks to help us lead in worship. We need gifted musicians to help us train the next generation who, in case you haven't noticed, are eager to learn, are zealous to grow in their giftedness because they want to hail King Jesus and lead us in so doing. Do you have musical gifts? What about, do you have a heart for the next generation? You know where else we need volunteers? Our youth group. How many times have you heard Pastor Tommy up here in tears, calling, come, volunteer for the youth group because God's doing amazing stuff, but here's what's going to happen. Our youth group, which is growing leaps and bounds, is going to hit a stalemate and then it's going to recede if we don't have the help that we need. So that's not a, a warning, that's an invitation. God is doing amazing work. If you want to grow in your faith, and you have a real vibrant faith, talk to Pastor Tommy about how to volunteer, how to get involved in soul youth. If you're brand new here and you're like, I don't know where to get involved, but I, I just want to kind of dip my toe in the water. Get involved on Sundays. Greet at the door. Make coffee. If you make coffee, you're everyone's best friend right away. <laughs> Everyone loves you. It's the easiest way for everyone to know your name and to thank you every Sunday. Oh, thank you. Oh, God, thank you, right? Like, we all need coffee. Easy ways to get involved. Why does this matter? Because we're the body. Hands don't survive very long on their own. Feet cannot walk anywhere without the legs and the torso and the head. We were made to live this life together. The only way is through, and the only way through is together, together. You see a whole list of additional teams up here to get involved in. I'm not going to highlight all of them. I simply want to ask you to please pray about where you are to serve. If you are a part of the All Souls family and you're not serving, please realize we're inviting you in and calling you in. To be a part of this church is not simply to come on a Sunday morning and to worship and hear a message. That's spectator. The church is not full of spectators. The church is a family on mission together. So if you're not involved, let this season be the one where you get involved. And then watch what God does. You know one of the biggest lies the enemy tells us as to why we don't get involved? Oh, I have nothing to offer. I cancel that lie in Jesus' name. I bind it and, and send it away. Go where Jesus sends you. The truth that we declare in this place is you've been sent here on purpose. His purpose for all of us that together we might grow up into our head who is Jesus. So get involved. Use your gifts and watch what God does in you and through you. Amen? amen. All right. Yeah, you heard that, Lord. Everyone in here said amen. amen. How about this one? Oh, my goodness. He's going to talk about money because they're the church and they always talk about money. No, we don't always talk about money, but yes, we are going to talk about money. Why? Because of all the things we just said about the church in Corinth, when you communicate with your actions that mammon is actually one of your gods, you give access to that demonic entity to your life. Have you ever thought about money like that before? Most of us don't. Most of us just think, yeah, I got to do my due diligence and I'm supposed to give to the church, so I give a little to the church. Money is warfare. And if we are not using our money sacrificially for the sake of the kingdom, we are giving access to the enemy of our souls to do stuff to us. How about we close that door in this season, friends? If all souls is your home church, can I challenge you that you are to be tithing here? You're like, oh my gosh, that sounds like a lot. 10% of my income. That's not a lot. God owns all of your income. He's letting you keep 90. If you're like, I can't jump from 2 to 10, okay, well then start moving in that direction. Tithe to your local church. And if you're online and this is your local church and you've never given, this challenge is for you too. Give to this place. You know what we would love to do 
increase our online presence. Make it better for you, but we can't unless we have the money. So give to this place. If this is not your local church, if you're here visiting this morning or you're online visiting, can I, can I challenge you to do this? Tithe to your local church and then give above and beyond to all souls as the Lord directs you. Why? God doesn't need our money. He wants our hearts. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. He wants your heart. But as we live on mission and as we give generously to one another, to this mission, you know what God does? He continues to bolster us. We're watching him move with power, and we want more of it. And so you're about to hear from, uh, during the actual congregational meeting, you're about to hear from our finance team, specifically Elder Randy, um, about our budget. And our budget this year is aggressive. It is aggressive. We're, we're asking for more. There's two ways more can come. First is we bring people here and they give. That's the, actually the best option. If you're not bringing people, start bringing people. Not so that they can give, so that they can get. But as they get Jesus, they'll want to give. But the other way is right here. 40 families to give an, ad an additional $25 a week. 40 families to give an additional $25 a week. That doesn't sound so bad, right? That sounds reasonable. That sounds doable. There are more than 40 families here. If all of us give an additional $25 a week, we'll blow our budget out the window and we'll be able to do even more things for the kingdom. The goal here, friends, yes, is to pay for air conditioning. Who is thankful for air conditioning this morning? That's not a sexy giving, is it? No one likes to pay the bills. We need to pay the bills, but it's also for the sake of mission. Let me explain to you how we do budgeting here at All Souls. We ask all of our ministry leaders to pray and ask God what he's calling them to do. And then give us your budget. And then within reason, we also pray and say, if they're asking for this, and here's the reasons, and we affirm this, we're going to ask God to provide for it. Let me put it to you differently. We don't look at the budget from last year and then fiscally say, what is wise for us to do? Let's go up by 2%. And 2% makes what? We don't function underneath that kind of wisdom. It doesn't mean that we're going to be foolish. It simply says this. If God's calling us to give and calling us on mission, we want to live on mission. So make no mistake about it, friends. This is a season where God's calling us to be stretched financially. And we're asking you to give towards mission. Let's watch what Jesus does in our midst as we continue to sacrifice and give generously towards him. Amen? Again, Lord, you heard that. Okay. Here's the thing, friends. In everything we just talked about, we asked this question. What kind of church can change Sin City into New Jerusalem? Well, the kind of church we just described. But the only way we do that is together. And together the world gets to see who our Jesus is. Can I, can I give you a little picture of what this looks like? Remember our theme? Not even Sin City is safe when God unleashes his church. Can I show you what Sin City looks like now? This is ancient Corinth, and that's the temple of Aphrodite in ruins. She lost. The church is growing and vibrant. Jesus wins, always wins. We see that, we know that, we believe that, even today, friends. And I want you to see that Jesus has many in our city. Some of you weren't able to be here a couple weeks ago, but we saw as Jesus brought person after person after person after person after person down to the river that we could declare together in word and in deed that Jesus has many in our city. 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 Jesus has many in our city, friends.
when is that guy going to shut up? <laughs> never. The answer is never. Because Jesus does have many in our city, and he's not done. And so, friends, when's your turn in the river? Where is God calling you to serve? How is God calling you to sacrifice financially? Where is God calling you, inviting you to know his love and the fullness of his spirit like you've never known it? This is our time. Let's give him our yes and let's watch what he does. Beloved, we are the church of Jesus Christ. This is the city of peace. And Jesus Christ reigns. Jesus, we love you today. We declare that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we thank you for welcoming us closer, closer than we've ever been to step into this, Lord. To realize and see the way that our fear of culture oftentimes gets in the way of what you're actually doing in us and through us. Thank you for the example of Paul and Corinth that calls us to a different way of life, that doesn't view your goodness through the lens of the debauchery around us, but sees the debauchery around us underneath the feet of the king of the universe. You will build your church and are building your church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We praise you, Lord Jesus. We praise you, King of kings and Lord of lords. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would show us concretely right now the places where you want us, Lord, to confess our sin and fear. And we just bind that spirit of fear in Jesus' name. We call you out. You have a loud roar and we see you. We tell you to be quiet and to go where Jesus sends you. And God, we, we ask that you would show us in our heart the places where fear has driven us the places where we have hidden and taken the talents you've given us and buried them rather than investing them in your church and your kingdom? Would you show us the places you want us to serve? How you want us to sacrifice in order to give even more faithfully to you, even more generously to you with joy? God, would you show us the places in our own souls that you want to heal us with a love that will not let us go? We praise you for that love. We praise you for that Holy Spirit. We praise you for the work you're doing in our midst. And we ask you to please keep going. Our eyes are on you, Lord Jesus. There's no better place for us to look. Be glorified today. Show us your heart and fill us with your spirit. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray.